This is a philosophical exegesis of the great learning. What is the great learning? It is one of the core philosophical texts in Confucianism. And its purpose is for the reader to understand how he can cultivate himself and the people in the world around him towards goodness and virtue. It's a very short document. So if you haven't taken a look at it, I suggest that you pause right here, take a look at it, and then come back and resume the lesson. I will be going through it line by line. But first, I'm going to talk broadly about this very short but very profound treatise. What we have here overall is a step-by-step -step plan as to how one can start by working within himself towards bringing the whole world towards a better state. And the writing of this has a very particular symmetry to it is something that I hope you had noticed in your own reading. But if we look at the middle, what we find is that we go from the very largest scope that a person can influence, which is the world, all the way down to a particular activity. And we see the reversal of that going back outwards. In a sense, it is like looking at a tree. You have the branches expanding outward at the top. It goes down, narrows into the trunk. And then as this trunk goes downwards, when you look at the roots, they look like the branches. They're starting to spread out. So the sort of tree or hourglass shape is done very intentionally because it's there to emphasize that one must look at this step by step and go from the largest scope inward. This is very important to understand because without this understanding, you have a kind of situation today where you have all these people, they're interested in political leadership of various sorts but they never took the time to truly cultivate themselves. They want to go out, run right to the streets, run right to the stage, maybe protest, maybe give a speech. They want to tell other people what to do, even at a very early age, even with very little life experience, even with very little moral education. A lot of people are like this. A lot of people who are educated in one sort of way, such as educated in medicine or in engineering, start to presume that they can go ahead and know everything about everything else, as long as they maybe perhaps look it up online. It's a very foolish mentality. And I think that the great learning really establishes why this is foolish. It really establishes that you need to work 
within yourself and there are multiple steps within yourself before you can start to go ahead and start to change other people. So let's start to look at this line by line. What the great learning teaches is to illustrate illustrious virtue, renovate the people, and rest in the highest excellence. Now your translation might be a little different. I'm going to explain uh, what these things mean word by word. So even though your translation might not follow through, just pay attention to the general sense of the line, of the meaning of the lines. Okay, so we've got these three goals in the first sentence. The first of them is illustrate illustrious virtue, the second is to renovate the people, and the third is to rest in the highest excellence. Let's start with the second one, renovating the people. This is an interesting choice of words because what it implies is that there is something already good about the people. The people are not simply to be improved, they are to be renovated. If you think about when you use the word renovation, you typically use it when there's something already there, it has its own original nature, and then we're gonna do something to it to make it better, to make it improved, to make it more beautiful, to make it more functional perhaps, to repair it. But it recognizes that there's something already there. So there's no tabulosa rasa or whatever the Latin term for that is, blank state. It's not that people just exist in as a blank piece of paper. People have their own nature. And furthermore, there's already a pre-existing culture that society has. So renovation is used towards a certain intended effect. Let's go to illustrate illustrious virtue and let's compare that to resting in the highest excellence. Okay, whenever we talk about things like virtue and excellence, um, in the Confucian context, we want to think about human excellence. What is good about human beings? What makes human beings human and how a human being can affect his human power upon the world. All right. So when we come to here, we have this idea of illustrating illustrious virtue. That's a very active phrasing compared to resting in the highest excellence. Illustrating means you're out there showing it to people they observe you, maybe they are inspired by you, but it's a very active thing. And for most of us, we have to be very conscious in our efforts. It's something that we have to examine what we're doing, push ourselves to do it, and observe the results. It's not something that, in other words, simply comes naturally and spontaneously to us. If you become a sage, if you become this human being that is highly virtuous, and this kind of person is not someone that just comes along all the time. A Confucian does not use the word sage lightly. There are many different steps on the way to becoming 
an ideal person. And this, the, the sage is at the finality of it. He is the ultimate ideal person. Before the sage is Shanren, a truly officious person. Before that is a Junzhe, who is a noble person. And before a Junzhe is a Shu, which can be translated as perhaps a scholar or a scholar official or scholar apprentice. But this is a person who is studying, who is uh, dedicated, devoted towards study. Okay, that's a shu. And of course, before that, there's nothing else except for just being a person. Now, we'll have an opportunity in uh, other texts, the Analects, the Mencius, the Shunzu, to talk about more of this idea of kind of different levels of virtue. Um, but for the purposes of this text, the great learning will stop here. Let's go back to this illustrate illustrious virtue and this resting of the highest excellence. We have these very lofty goals here. Illustrating illustrious virtue means you're out there active in the world and resting in the highest excellence means that even when you're back at home, even though you're alone, nobody is observing you, nobody is around you, you're still virtuous. And so there's not this difference between the person in public and the person at home. Now that, of course, is very difficult to do because we can all be out there and act patiently and act respectfully when the situation, it seems, pushes us towards that. But it's harder to just simply do it all the time, even when you're tired, even when you want to be left alone. We've all experienced this. So you can see that these three goals, illustrate illustrious virtue, renovate the people, rest in the highest excellence, are the most lofty and highest goals that a human being can achieve. And in fact, most of us will not be able to really get there in our lifetime certainly not renovating people. I think it's obvious um, that you haven't really done that. Now, it's much easier to do a lot of other things. It's much easier to make a billion dollars. It's much easier to um, become elected to whatever position of power that you are seeking. It's much easier to do these sorts of things. Money, power, those things can easily be accomplished inventing something much more easier than these things. But what are those things ultimately for? And what makes a human being happy? What makes a human being fulfilled? A lot of times we mistake happiness as simply having some kind of exciting experience. So you go to the movies, you watch this movie, and there's a lot of action scenes. You might mistake that with happiness. But it's often not really happiness. It's just excitement. And, and that's something that, especially if you're a young person, you get very confused. 
that oh, something exciting, you must have enjoyed it. That's not always the case. It's not the case because what is exciting is not always something that makes you happy. Sometimes something that is very routine and ordinary is something that can provide a lot of happiness. I think, you know, if you have a favorite food, that can be very much a moment of happiness. Even though you've had it many, many times before. It's easy to get these things confused, excitement and happiness, because I think that if you are happy or you're anticipating being happy, you tend to get excited. All right. So if you're not very good at observing yourself, if you, if you don't have very much self-awareness, if you don't have the next parts of the great learning, you know, where they're talking about having a calmness, a tranquil repose, careful deliberation, if you are not very good at these things, then you tend to make that mistake that what excites you is something that um, makes you happy. At the moment, I'm not really too excited, but doing this teaching makes me very fulfilled. And this is something that we want to start to understand what is what really is happiness is, is fulfillment. Fulfillment. In other words, you are doing what you are supposed to do. Not because some human being has told you that you need to do it, like show up to work make that paycheck for the week. But rather is something that is more, um, some people might think of as divinely inspired, or some other people might think of it as coming from your nature. But it's something that you as a person, as a human being, knows deep inside, this is what you were supposed to do all along. And the process of doing that and getting to that goal, that is fulfillment. So basically for all human beings, having a family, which involves many things, of course, the process of getting married, um, having children, raising those children, and then well, those children have children of their own. All of that is fulfillment because as human beings, we have deep inside us this nature to procreate, to have a family. So that is what it means to be fulfilled. Again, all human beings want to have a family and that is one primary way of being fulfilled. Now, other ways that human beings find fulfillment, this is more based on the individual. You know, so for me to teach is finding fulfillment. 
But for other people, you could find fulfillment in other ways. But let me suggest one last thing that is universal in terms of finding fulfillment, which is that a person does not simply want to have a family. They want other things as well. They want to ultimately live an excellent human life. And part of that excellence is living virtuously. That is actually the key to true happiness. It's not something that one accomplishes outside himself purely. There's a lot of people with families, big families, in fact. And they have children, but they're not happy. They don't get along with maybe their spouse, maybe their children. And even if they do get along, maybe they feel that to some large extent their own life has been unhappy or even a failure because, and I would say that it's not something like lack of money or lack of power, which are two things that we, uh, that human beings typically pursue to almost no end. It's not those two things but really, it's ultimately a lack of, of virtue. So this is a significant thing to think about is why does virtue make us happy? There's nothing that can be really said to explain why exactly fulfillment is found in virtue. But there are certain times in your life where you've done the right thing and it has not provided good consequences for you. But you feel at peace. I think that's a big hint as to this idea that uh, living virtuously even though the world does not recognize you, even though the world does not praise you for it, even though the world may not even know about it, that this is important. And despite the world's reaction, whether it's positive or negative, you feel good. So this is a taste of what it means to be virtuous and for that itself to cause one to be happy. You want to be able to uh, end your life. You're in your deathbed, you know you're about to die and not have any regrets. And your regrets are um, not going to be about how much money you have um, or how much power you had, but the kind of life you live. Can you, can you be proud of it? Can you say that this was both enjoyable, but also something that you are proud that other people know about it and you believe that they should be, um, they should praise the kind of life you have left, uh, you have led. So that can help you start to understand why virtue is so key to a person's happiness. 
We'll talk about this more and we'll always implicitly talk about this when we go through these philosophical texts, when we go through um, the classics that are not philosophical at heart um, or by genre, such as history. You know, I mean, there's a lot of philosophical lessons you can draw from history, but it's, strictly speaking, it's not philosophy. Literature, whether we're talking about poetry or fiction, these things help us understand a little bit about virtue if you see it the right way. And that's what a philosophy is useful for us. It'll help us see things, point out to us things that might have otherwise gone under your radar. All right, so we have these three goals, at least three illustrious virtue, renovate the people, rest in the highest excellence. Let's go ahead and move on to the next part here. All right, so these next few statements have to do with a mental process. The first part is the point where to rest be known. This is the idea of you know what your goals are. And most people do not even reach this point at all. When you live life, a lot of people tell you what you should should not do. And the list is endless. If it isn't, it's not only your parents, it's not only your school teachers, but it's also the media, it's also your bosses, it's also uh, the college that you attend, even though they say, you know, um, they let you choose your career. Uh, there are certain kinds of implicit messages that they're not directly telling you, but they're hinting at for you to follow. And so this is really everywhere. And again, the two major things that we are asked to attain is money and power. Now that's not one of the goals here. That's not one of the goals. But now that we have the proper goals and we understand why those are proper goals, then we can go ahead and actually make some efforts towards that. So now that we know what our goals are, the point where to rest being known, now we can pursue our object uh, that is indeterminate. So that's that's kind of this statement. You know, where do you? Uh, what's your goal? Where do you want to rest in? And now that you have figured out your goal, there's a certain level of peace that comes with that. You're not constantly chasing a whole bunch of stuff. And in this day and age, it's very hard to avoid doing that, especially if you, if you, if you have a smartphone, if you have all these sorts of electronic ways to communicate, and I should put quotations over that word communicate because text messages and emails are not really great ways to communicate. They're just convenient ways to communicate, but nothing really beats a live conversation. Furthermore, there's just a lot of things that we're asked to, to do and keep up and, and the list is never ending and it's always constantly regenerating. As in the case, for example, with bills, they're always coming in. Um, as in the case of work assignments, they're always coming in or school assignments, they're always coming in. It never ends. But if you know your true goals, there's a certain piece that comes with that. Now, once you have that kind of 
first love of peace, you want to keep going. And that's what the next statements are about. So you have this calm, unperturbedness. Then you will have after that a tranquil repose. Now, if you look up these words in the dictionary, you're just going to find a bunch of synonyms. You can tell, though, by the structure of this, that there are just deeper levels of peace and focus. So after that, in this tranquil repose, there's careful deliberation. If you're familiar with this idea of meditation, this tranquil repose is a thing that probably comes closest to your experience of meditation. That you really come uh, getting yourself to this point where you can calm down and focus and your mind is still, your mind is very sharp, is very focused, aches at its best state in figuring out problems. This is the best place where you can do your careful deliberation, which is what comes out next. And in that careful deliberation where you think about step by step how to achieve these lofty goals of yours, you can attain the desired end. Okay, so in other words, you know your goals, that brings you a certain level of peace. You take that peace and you hone it into this very strong state of concentration and focus. And from there, you can think clearly about how to achieve your goal. The next section is about roots and branches. So things have their roots and branches, affairs have their end and the beginning. To know what is first and what is last will lead near to what is taught in the great learning. And I like this because here we're having our first metaphor. Everything else, everything so far has been abstract. Now we're having a metaphor, roots and branches. This goes back to our idea of the tree that I was discussing earlier. And the next two paragraphs, uh, if your text is organized that way. The next two have to do with roots and branches. You know, again, they're all um, on one end, they're spreading out. And as you go further down the line, they're, they're coming to us towards the center, right? Both the roots and the branches, okay? Affairs have their end and beginning. So those are like the roots and branches. This whole document is all about cause and effect, priorities, first and last, all right? Uh, beginnings and ends. Okay, so now we can get into uh, the step-by-steps here. The first step is this large idea of illustrating illustrious virtue throughout the kingdom. Okay, so illustrating here doesn't mean just your personal example, but it's also to bring everybody in the kingdom towards the virtue. Okay, um, there's a lot of translations for this word that ends up being kingdom. Uh, it could be empire or the world. Um, those words are kind of synonymous when it comes to how we understand they are trans um, how best to translate uh, these words. I don't want to go too much into the uh, ancient Chinese, which is different from modern Chinese. And words change over time, all the time. This is not something that is unique to Confucian texts. You'll see this, of course, with any religion, um, which anytime you deal with ancient texts, um, these words uh, might still be used today, but in, in, in somewhat different ways. So to the people living all the way back then, 
the empire, the king, uh, you know, the world, um, maybe there's not a difference, or maybe this is one of those words that has multiple meanings simultaneously, and um, it's not really clear. Um, however, we have this next part. In order to um, improve the world or the, the kingdom or the empire, you have to order well your own state. So this distinction between state and kingdom, which needs to exist for this whole statement to make sense, uh, must mean, given the context that everything is you know, starting to shrink into smaller and smaller scopes, that the state is smaller than the kingdom. Right? Now the state is, when we use state, it's not like the United States. Um, the, the meaning of state actually means an independent country with its own laws, with its own, um, well, basically military, all right? So uh, the state there is going to be something that's part of the rest of the world. So I like to think of this as, as either the empire or the world, you know? Um, so you have to order well your own state bring it to order. How do you bring it to order? You use things like law, you use things like hierarchy, um, you know, you have, you bring in the right people into the right positions of power. All right, so all states are responsible for doing these things. Okay, so um, I don't like the translation kingdom because uh, kingdom is a state. You know, but it might make more sense if we're thinking about something like an empire or even simply the world, right? So if you want to illustrate illustrious virtue, have this virtuous effect throughout the world, you have to make sure your own country is in good order. How do you how do you order your state well? That's the second part. You have to regulate your families. So here we have this connection between ordering your state and regulating your families. There's really two ways to look at this, because as you see at the bottom, um, at the end, from the sun of heaven down to the mass of the people, all must consider the cultivation of the person, the root of everything besides. Um, so there's two ways to look at it. One from the perspective of the uh, noble person. Right. Uh, by here, I don't mean virtuous. I mean he has a actual rank in society. Uh, Son of heaven means the emperor. Uh, we'll we'll talk about it into detail what that means when we get to the actual line. But if you're say the king, then obviously your royal family has a huge impact on your state in two ways. One through example, because everybody looks up to you. In the same way that a lot of people today emulate celebrities. Um, and powerful people in general, uh, the monarch and his family are looked to as role models. Another way in which the family is, of course, important is that, well, the next king is also going to be the king's son, um, and usually the son himself is, you know, influenced by other family members. So having a family in order is very critical for any monarchy. And it's really the same for anybody in power, uh, whether it's monarchical or not. Um, if we're talking about just being an ordinary person, you want to regulate, regulate your family 
because this is really the way in which you interact with the rest of the world. Most people consider their job um, as a way that they interact with the rest of the world. But if we're talking about virtue, we're not talking about money, we're talking about virtue, then it's the family that um, one leaves his legacy through. You have children, and then your children have um, give you grandchildren. And so you see that what you do as a person in your family actually has a greater effect than just merely making a bunch of money and, you know, uh, increasing the size of your bank account. Of course, you want to regulate your family because this is a primary source of your happiness. And so if the, you know, particularly your, your children, if they're not virtuous, then your life is going to be miserable and they're going to make other people's lives miserable. And as time passes, your whole family will actually be torn apart. And I've seen this when you have really a rotten kid, um, you know, the, this is itself enough to tear, tear a family apart. If your spouse is not virtuous, uh, then, you know, this is another way in which families are torn apart. It will eventually happen. What does it mean to regulate versus order? So um, when you're talking about regulating your family, um, you can set rules for your family, especially if you're a parent. And in this context, uh, yes, you know, it's, it's a patriarchal con context. So if you are the father, then you have more say uh, than ultimately the wife. And we'll, we'll kind of talk about this dynamic um, in, in future lessons. It's not that the wife does just whatever. She also is responsible for thinking and um, and and uh, executing um, the plans. You know, the in other words, the wife is uh, analogous to uh, a minister of the king, you know, the, like the prime minister. And throughout history, this is a favorable favorable analogy because. Um, Throughout history, usually the prime minister is actually more talented than the king. Okay, so this this metaphor, this analogy, is a very favorable one to wives. Um, so, if your wife uh, hearing this, you should think of yourself as you know, um, you know, who knows who's you know the more talented between you and your husband, but um, you can do a lot of great things um, in the in the role of wife for your family. Uh, you know, that does not mean you're just husband, the additional husband, okay. So um, regulating your family means that you do set these rules, but regulations are different from, say, statutes or, or laws in that they are, um, you, you change them situation by situation, depending on the situation, depending on the person involved, you know, so it's, it's a more hands-on approach. And that makes sense because your family you're closer to compared to your state. Another thing to mention is back then, the family was much wider than it is today. Today we have um, you know, what we call a nuclear family or an atomistic family, but it's a very small family. Uh, two parents and a kid, um, or and a few kids, and oftentimes not even to that level. Now back then, you would live on the same estate with your cousins, and uh, the grandfather would typically be the one you know, running things. So um, 
in that sense, you kind of do need like a larger set of rules for everybody to get along on the same, you know, the same estate. And uh, and so the war regulation in that way also makes sense here. If you want, okay, so that's regulating the family. If you want to regulate your family, you have to cultivate your person. Okay, now that makes sense, right? You're one individual, you need to work on yourself. Otherwise, people will not listen to you. Uh, they'll think you're a hypocrite and use that as a reason to not follow you, even if you're correct. And even if they do follow you, if you are not somebody who has cultivated himself, if you have not improved yourself, then you're going to lead everyone towards disaster anyway. So, of course, you have to improve yourself. Notice the word again here, cultivate. Notice the verb here, cultivate. Cultivate means you're taking something that's already growing and making it grow better. And that's different from, say, being an engineer where you're just building something from scratch. You have your own nature. You already have a nature, both as a human being and as an individual. You need to know how to grow that best. Okay, And a lot of people don't understand that to these days in this day of technology where you can just make something happen and make it happen almost immediately. And that's why a lot of people who are engineers, for example, often make, uh, I know you don't want to, some, you know, if you're an engineer, you don't want to hear this, but um, oftentimes you are not very good parents because you don't understand what it means to cultivate an already existing nature. You just assume that if you just send them down the same process, like in a factory, it'll come out to be the same. Or, you know, using the same algorithms, you'll get the same exact result. But that's not the case. Okay, nothing uh, really works that way. All right. Um, so, you want to cultivate your own self. How do you cultivate yourself? There's a number of steps here. Now, this is all internal. The first thing is you rectify your heart. What does it mean to rectify your heart? Well, your heart is what you value, right? The heart is where you find out what you value, what makes you happy, what makes you unhappy. So to rectify it means to put it in correct order. That's what rectification means, to put it in correct order. So you want to rectify your heart. A lot of people are like this where they don't, um, you know, they, they might love their, um, they might love their pet more than their family member. And you actually see this a lot. And that's not a properly ordered heart. You know, that's not a rectified heart. You know, you should not uh, love your cat or dog um, more than your children or more than your spouse. That's There's something wrong with that. You know, as, as lovely as your pet is, as much affection you have for your pet, um, this is still not a human family member. And there are other ways in which the heart is not in good order for most people today. Um, if you look at, you know, if you ask somebody, do you prioritize family or money? And everybody will say family. But if you actually look at their behavior, if you look at how much, you know, how pleasant they are in the pursuit of money, you know, flattering bosses, for example, or doing, you know, pretend to be a really good person at the interview. But then you see how these people treat their own family members. You understand that there's something out of order here. Okay. So 
rectifying the heart is the first step to cultivating your person. Um, sorry, it's not the first step, but it's, it's something that comes um, close to cultivating the person. Before you can rectify your heart, you have to be sincere in your thoughts. What does it mean to be sincere in your thoughts? It means to want the what is good. That's what sincere means, to want what is good and righteous. Right, that's sincere. Right. So that's why if we talk to somebody and all he wants to do is sell you a car and he's saying all sorts of things that he doesn't mean just so he can get your money, that's not sincere. Okay. A sincere person um, is doing the right thing for the right reasons. Okay, so that's if you're sincere in your thoughts, that helps you change what you value. How do you become sincere in your thoughts? You need to know what is good to begin with, and so that's where this idea of extending your knowledge comes in to place. Because you need to know something, you need to understand something, you need to have wisdom to understand what is good to begin with, and then you can be sincere, and then based on that sincerity, you can order your heart correctly. How do you extend your knowledge? How do you understand extend your understanding and wisdom? You investigate things, and this is pretty broad, investigation of things. Can mean, I mean, probably sounds kind of like the scientific method to some of you, but the investigation of things means things like reading books, reading history, experiencing life and thinking about it, contemplating it, studying philosophy like you are right now. That's how you can extend your understanding, your knowledge. That's how you can make your thoughts sincere. That's how you can rectify your heart. That is what leads you to cultivate your person. That is what leads you to be able to improve your families and regulate them. That is what allows you to have this larger effect on the rest of your country. And as your country improves, it becomes a role model for the whole world. And that's why this next, you know, um, you have this line that says their states being rightly governed, the whole kingdom, or in other words, the whole world, was made tranquil and happy, peace and happiness. Those are two different things. Um, peace and harmony are two different things. Peace means an absence of violence, an absence of trouble. Harmony means people getting along, appreciating each other, finding joy in each other, and how they act with each other. That's a much harder thing to achieve than mere peace. So this next part is kind of that, you know, going back out, right? We went from things being investigated all the way to the rest of the world. And so we see that here. The next line, from the sun of heaven down to the mass of people. The sun of heaven, again, means... Um, this is a person who is, is, he's called the son of heaven because he's um, an example to the rest of the world. Uh, you can think of heaven as being somewhat similar to uh, the idea of God in, in the Western religions. So um, you have this idea that, you know, God is out there, um, out there, but he is not, you know, present on earth uh, always. At least, and, and you know, doing things as we human beings are. So the Son of Heaven is um, 
has sort of two meanings. One, it means the emperor, okay, um, of, of China. And China is understood to be the center, the central states, you know, the, the um, kind of um, in the middle of the whole world. But more generally, it can mean the, the most virtuous person in, in the world, the one who has the greatest positive effect on, on the world. Okay. The mass of people refers to the commoner. So basically saying everybody in the world, it doesn't matter how high or low you are, you need to cultivate yourselves and you're, you have that responsibility. All right, the last part here is um, kind of a repeat of the, this idea of, of roots and branches and first and last and uh, cause and effect. It cannot be when the root is neglected that what's to spring from it will be well ordered. In other words, pay attention to these things. Correct yourself first, otherwise everything else doesn't fall um, along and the whole world will still be chaotic. Um, it has never been the case that what was of great importance has been slightly cared for. And what at the same time, what was of sight and importance has been greatly cared for. In other words, pay attention to the fundamentals. Don't try to skip, skip it and expect these larger problems to be fixed. For example, a lot of people are concerned about the environment. And I am too, because who wants to live in a world that is not, you know, basically uh, uh, possible to survive in. But then people do not really want to fix more immediate problems like how everybody is having a bad family life or how everybody themselves as individuals are really kind of lowly or nasty people. But there's a very much a connection there. It's hard to care about the environment if people are struggling with their daily lives. And it's hard to regulate these companies that are, say, polluting and so forth if your states are not functioning. So there's very much a cause and effect to all of this. You can't expect the most, the, the greatest problems to be fixed when um, people are not cultivated, people are not virtuous, whether they're our leaders or simply, you know, being the average person. So this is a great learning. It's, it, it, really, it emphasizes basically two things. One, one should wish for virtue for themselves and everybody throughout the world. And two, there is a cause and effect number of steps to get there. You have to, you have to study, you have to cultivate what's inside you, then you can start cultivating people outside of you. And that's how it must work.